All right, awesome. So let's get let's get rolling right here. Uh, we're going to start chapter five. But before we start chapter five, let's give you a little recap. What's the recap? The recap is, of course, that Tanya starts off with some technical questions about what is righteous, what is wicked, what is in between. Am I good or bad, if you want to put it in that way? And in order to understand those questions, um, we, we launched into a discussion to understand ourselves. Basically, we have to Basically, we have to understand ourselves in order to understand what our mission is. That's pretty much the, is going to be the story. The reason why definitions are important is because once you understand what definition you are, in other words, what um, group of people you're in, then you know what your mission is. That's why definitions were important. Nothing more than that. I mean, maybe more than that, but as far as we're concerned. So then in the, in the following chapters, really now chapter two, all of chapter eight, we are going to discuss the... Um, we're going to discuss all the different um, sections of uh, ourselves. Um, starts off with the animal soul and the godly soul. So we start off discussing the godly soul in chapter two. We described where the godly soul comes from, what's its makeup, pretty much it's a piece of God. And we discuss some technical questions like how is it possible that some people are, um, you know, godly yet they don't look so godly right so we had to describe the whole gestation period but anyways so again chapter two we discussed the godly soul chapter three that we started to discuss the godly soul's faculties or powers we start off with the intellect and uh, then we moved on a little bit to the emotions and then chapter four we discussed something that's connected to your soul but not exactly your soul that is the garments thought speech and action which your godly soul wants to use your thought speech and action so what, again describing the godly soul the godly soul is a piece of god what does the godly soul want to do? It wants to connect to God, right? That's what its intellect is used for. That's what its heart is used for, is to connect to God. And we said the connection happens through the garments. The garments are the avenue through which the godly soul's uh, intellect and emotions can connect to God. Through action, of course. Uh, thought, speech, and action. But that led us to kind of start to describe what actually does it look like to connect to God. So towards the end of chapter four, we went on a little bit of a discussion describing what it looks like to connect to God. Of course, we said a mitzvah is connecting to God uh, because a mitzvah is like the limbs of, of God. And when you do a mitzvah, you're connecting with God himself. It's also God's will. So you're connecting with God. We, we had a lengthy discussion about that. And we described how really it's impossible to connect to God only through his mitzvahs because uh, God is infinite or finite. The only way to connect him is through what he commands us. Otherwise, there is no way for us to connect with him. But we also mentioned that through Torah, you connect with God. In other words, we understand a mitzvah connects you with God because you're doing what God wants. But Torah is just a study. And you might say, well, Torah study is just a technical thing that you have to do to know what to do. In other words, one might look at, I have to study the Torah to know what actions I need to do, Right. So you might say like this, you might say Torah study itself does not connect me with God. It's just a venue through which I can understand what I need to do to connect with God. But Tanya is saying, no, not only when you do a mitzvah, are you connecting with God? When you study Torah, you are connecting with God. As we described, we said that the Torah and God are one because the Torah is God's will and wisdom. And uh, therefore, to the Torah, we connect with God. 
you know what? <laughs> While we wait, <laughs> I actually was going to start with a question. But the question is like this. So I want to hear from you. Why do you take off your time during your day to come study Torah? Okay, so this is the question we're asking. Why, why do people take off their time? Okay, you're all in the middle of your workday. Come and study Torah. That's the question. We'll get we'll get background noise, but I want to hear your answer. Yes, Barra. Um, well, I think it's um driven by the uh the godly soul. What? The godly soul wants to connect with God. And this is a way that that we're able to do that. But is that how you feel? In other words, when you're taking off your time, is that is that what you're feeling? So you're asking about my animal soul. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, well, just curious. If, if you're asking a general, if you're asking sort of a non-Tanya general question, the answer for me is I want to learn. Right. And I like learning. Got it. Got it. So you, the intellectual stimulation, regardless of the of the subject, really. Well, well, I wouldn't say regardless of the subject yeah. because we have to make choices about how we utilize our time. So there's lots of things that you could say, yeah, this would be nice to learn, but there's lots of things we say, well, we just don't have the time for that. So it becomes a matter of some prioritization as well. I see. And so in this particular case, this has value to. So I want to spend some time learning it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Rabbi, I think the subject yeah. is there's a handoff. I I think the subject is 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 very. You think what? The subject. Yeah. Is, is important. I, I wouldn't take my time out for during a lunchtime because I got fifteen computer here and I'm doing work. But for mm -hmm. this, I think it's so important that we learn how to do our best to, you know, to, uh, you know, be, be with God and to try to work in the way he wants us to work, that th this is good time well spent for me, just like Talmud class is time well spent for me because I'm learning and I'm learning things that, that will help me, you know, be closer to my Judaism and hopefully closer to God. Mm -hmm. So you're saying with, within Torah study itself, the subject matter matters to you as well? I, I think so. I think, you know, there's a lot of diverse things I'm interested in. But, you know, if this was uh, something about, you know, baseball or bagels and locks or something like that, wouldn't be wouldn't be as interesting. You wouldn't have my attention. Right. OK, Adam. Yeah, for me, it's inspiring. Um, I'm you know, I'm looking for something that I learn newly and also to validate what I already know. And, you know, the possibility of me actually bringing that to somebody else as well. You know, the 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 kind of like a future um, that doesn't exist yet, mm -hmm. that that might happen and I'm prepared. Um, yeah, so I'm inspired by that. So... Mm -hmm. Things that that why I do what I do would be to be moved, touched, and inspired. For me, this is inspiring. Got it. Okay, good. Yeah. Someone else wrote here they like the learning, but it also made me feel good afterwards. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons why one would study Torah. So it's a, it's an important question because 
we as Jewish people spend a lot of time studying Torah and a lot of people don't understand why. Like I said earlier, you know, in other words, if you go to yeshiva, they study sometimes impractical things as well. Sometimes we also study things that are not necessarily practical. For example, last year at the uh, Shavuot evening, we studied a very fascinating, intellectually engaging discussion about King Solomon and the baby that was cut in half. It was a very fascinating discussion, but it had no, I mean, obviously a rabbi can pull a lesson out of anything, but it technically it had no practical relevance to any of our lives. Okay, any, pretty much the laws weren't very practically relevant. And, uh, you know, the case study was a fascinating case study, but why do we as Jews spend our time studying this? So one can, of course, say there's intellectual wisdom in it. Some teachings of the Torah are, are, are good ethically. And of course, today, we're going to also present the one that Bruce started off with as well. Um, but that's really the idea is, again, why do we as Jews why do we find such value in just studying any subject of Torah? Now, not to say you'll always be interested in studying any subject of Torah, but why do we as Jews place value on any subject of Torah? Uh, Bruce, you wanted to say something else? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about what we did last Shavuos, the thing that I liked about it was that it, the, the, um, the general explanation was overly so, is overly simplified. You know, a 12-year-old King Solomon basically said, okay, well, we'll divide the baby in half. But there was a lot more, there was a, a, a richness to the entire story that was completely missing from what I think most people understand about it. So from my perspective, it was interesting to learn about all the different nuances that actually led to that uh, decision. And, and, and more importantly, why each of the women reacted the way they did. Hmm. So regardless of whether, you know, Leverite marriage or right. Right. or any of that stuff is relevant now, the fact of the matter is all that stuff played into, you know, that decision. Um, and, it, you know, what that at a minimum tells you is that Things aren't always as they appear. Right. So you you enjoy the depth within the story in what seemingly is a simple pretty... story, but yet when you dig deeper, it has a lot more meaning to it. And I'll agree with you, but then I'll I'll I'll, I'll throw another question. Um, yes, there's more depth to the story, but who cares? Why why are we interested? Again, you can say intellectual pursuit, but you well, can typically do that same intellectual pursuit in other stories. Why just take a random story that happened, you know, 3,000 years ago? Why is that so important to us to, to get to the details of a story that happened 3,000 years ago? Well, I mean, I guess maybe one thing, Leverite marriage is not required any longer, but Salitza right. is, correct? So it's not, it's not completely, right, right. you know, irrelevant. But even putting that aside, um there's you know there well I, I maybe this is a personal thing i mean i like the the depth and the detail to a lot of these things right you know and let's get, give another example so the rabbi gets up let's say on shabbos and i give a sermon and i ask a question on a detailed word why does the torah use this word and not that word why is that interesting to us because we're told that torah is that every word matters, that there's no extra right. words in there. So uh, again, to me, it's, it's, 
time well spent understand why this word is used in a particular circumstance. Right. And I think you have to add what you started off to begin with, that, that it's godly, which is, of course, going to be the ending of where we're going to get to and how what that exactly means. But uh, our, our pursuit is not just, as we'll see, just an intellectual pursuit of the study of the text, but it's a godly pursuit, you know? Um, otherwise, you know, for intellect, you can, you can open up lots of books, right? In other words, is God's gift to us that the Torah, because it's intellectual and it's so wise and it makes us smart. I mean, yes, that is a gift, but it's more than just that. You now, through studying Torah, we can reach and touch God. As someone wrote here, I crave connecting to God. Okay. All right. We, we discussed why do we find it important to study Torah? Now, let me ask for a moment. Let's back up further. Why do uh, we enjoy studying intellectual topics? Um, and, that, and that's really been the, the human experience is about education, right? When we talk about a poor nation, we generally talk about their poor in education. It's usually one of the biggest problems. Um, our lives in the beginning of our lives are dedicated to education from when we're, you know, you know, four years old or whatever, five years old, we go off to school all the way through high school and college. And even after we graduate, we go to postgraduate classes. Many people in their, in their careers have to go for continuing education. Um, so education and, and study is a big thing within, um, uh, within the world. So what is so important about education? Okay, so you might say, um, you know, it helps us develop our, our character and, and whatever it else is. There, there are many different reasons why education is important. But the most important one that we're going to talk about is that education can change a person. Okay, education can change who you are. It, it becomes, if I want to say the word I'm actually looking for, is integrates with you. Not, aside from food, nothing else you ingest in, becomes integrated with you, okay? When you learn something, before you start to study, you and the topic at hand are two separate things. The moment you learn something and you understand it, um, you become a very different person. So for example, um, if you study math, not you know let it go through one ear and out the other, but if you study math, the moment you understand the math, it becomes a part of who you are. That knowledge becomes a part of who you are, as opposed to the knowledge being separate from you. Now that knowledge is part of you. Yes, it's like riding a bicycle. I mean, once you know it, it right. can't be taken away. Yeah, it's part of you. Yep, yep. It's a trick. Uh -huh. I open it. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, oh, I see. Now, within study of any intellectual subject, there's actually three stages. Stage number one is when you know that there is a topic to be studied. Okay. Then, um, then there is actually studying the topic mm -hmm. in which you get involved and then ask questions and you get answers. And then after you fully understand it, it becomes a part of who you are. You integrate it, you internalize it. It changes the person that you are. That is generally how intellect works. So again, there's intellect. Let's say, you know, I say, I want to understand economics. So you know about economics, you don't know much about it. 
you take the book and you start to delve into it. When you're done delving into it, it becomes a part of you. Your knowledge of economics becomes a part of you. That's actually why we find uh, very often in uh, Torah study or really in any other areas of intellect, you don't always quote who you're, uh, you know, who you're, who said the idea. Actually, sometimes when you're quoting people, sometimes it means you don't fully understand it, <laughs> right? Now, to quote uh, this person, you know, if if you fully integrate with it, you actually don't necessarily need to quote it. Everything really we learned is came from other people. We don't quote people all the time, right? But sometimes quoting, I'm not saying you should never quote, but sometimes not, sometimes quoting is a sign that you don't fully understand and grasp that the topic didn't become internalized with you. Um, so in summary, after you learn something, after you've delved into it, you are not the same person uh, that you were before. So for example, let's say um, I gave a class recently on dreams, right? Now, personally, I, I studied a little bit about dreams. I understood a little bit more about how we view dreams. And now, if I have a dream at night, I, I maybe deal, I think about it differently. In fact, maybe I found since I gave the class, I, I've, I've experienced more dreams. But in other words, uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's a thought process in my mind. I've changed through the study, through connecting with that study. I've changed. I'm sure you've had different uh, topics that you study um that the changes you are including probably the study of tanya the study of tanya has probably changed a lot of who you are i'll give another example uh the talmud tells us that there's uh there's actually two two talmuds there's the there's the jerusalem talmud and babylonian talmud it says there was once a great rabbi who uh wanted to switch over from studying the babylonian talmud to study the jerusalem talmud and it says, how did he do it? You would say, well, if you want to switch from one to the other, just start learning the new one. But it says, no, first he fasted 500 fasts to forget the Babylonian Talmud. Then he would study the Jerusalem Talmud. Why did he need to fast? The answer is, of course, because the Babylonian Talmud had a certain way of thinking and it was a part of him. And in order for him to really get to a new understanding, study the Jerusalem Talmud style, he actually had to kind of forget his old way because it was a part of him. So he had to fast, you know, to the point where he kind of forgot it. That just shows you how much when you study, you know, the the uh, the subject at hand becomes a part of you. That just shows you just, just how much it becomes a part of you. Okay, so that's why when we study, um, what, you know, and actually, what do they say? You know, um, old habits die hard. I would say the same thing actually is even more about thought processes mm -hmm. old thought processes die hard it's 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 hard to rewire our thought process when someone thinks a certain way for a long time there is a process with which they they go the other way but it's not easy yeah you know it's 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 a process why because thought processes become a part of us okay now we're going to delve into a word which is going to be used in this chapter and will help us understand this chapter and that is the word grasp Okay, the word grasp is a word we're going to use a lot in this chapter. So grasp physically means I grasp something, right? That means I'm holding on to it, right? Now, the Tanya is going to use the word grasp, and actually it's going to be from the Pasach Elio, which is a, an, an important book. Um, it says, It says that no intellect can grasp you. Now, does the word grasp apply to intellectual concepts? Can you hold an intellectual concept in your hand? 
right? Again, so the, the Pasach says about God, says no thought can grasp you. What would make sense is no thought can understand you. Why does the Pasach use the word no thought can grasp you? Now here I'm going to what we said earlier, you know, that we, we're taking apart words that are written in the Torah, but this is important. The answer is that in a sense, grasping does apply when you study. Because when you grasp something, that means you are, you're, you're surrounding it, you're holding on to it, okay? And uh, similarly, just as when you, when you hold on to a, a, a item, you, you're holding on to it, when you study something, you're grasping it from all its edges, right? Physically, everything has six directions, so to speak. One, mm -hmm. you know, Cute. up, down, and the four directions. When you grasp a concept, that means that you have understood it in all its angles. Once you understand a concept in all its angles, you're holding on to it. That's what it means to hold on to a, a, a an intellectual concept. So yes, we can use the word understand, but to use the word grasp really describes to us when you understand something completely to where you can grab, so to speak, grab onto all its handles. I'm sure you've studied something where you understand parts of it, right? That's not grasping, or, you're, or maybe you're grasping on lightly, you know, you're holding onto one edge, you know? It's, it's ready to fall, and someone will ask you a question, and boom, it falls out of your hand, you know? Um, so the Tanya is about to use a word called grasping about intellect, and so I'm explaining to you why. Because intellect is something that you can, in a sense, grasp. You can you can grab onto it from all hands. On top of that, um, on top of that, while you are in the midst of studying a subject before you fully grasp it, mm -hmm. it's actually grabbing onto you. You know, as you could say, you're enveloped in it. it it's enveloping you, right? Imagine that you ever have a topic and, you, and you're, you're delving deeply into it and someone asks you a question like, you know, go away now, right? I don't have time, right? Uh, you, you're, you're engrossed in the topic. The topic is surrounding you. Why am I describing all this? Because this is all going to describe just how wonderful it is when we study Torah. If we're going to say that Torah is God's wisdom, what's going to come out is as I'm describing now. Number one, when you understand Torah, you're grasping onto God's wisdom itself. It's come a part of you. You're holding onto it. It's amazing, which is even greater than a mitzvah as we'll get to. And at the same time, when you're studying Torah, you are surrounded by God's wisdom. Because think about it. When you're studying a subject, that subject is surrounding you. You're completely enveloped in it. So imagine when you're in the process of studying Torah, you are now enveloped in, God, in God's wisdom. Mm -hmm. that's, 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 a, that's an amazing thing. Um, Let's take a look here. Let's take a look at the te text. So let me share on the screen. Let's read this inside. Uh, wait. Open up over here. Photos. Okay. So again, all, the reason why we're doing this chapter is to describe to you not just why it's important to study Torah, but actually even more. Um, page 75, by the way. Um, it's to describe to you how Torah is, in a sense, even greater than mitzvahs, okay? So let's take a look. As we learn in chapter four, the greatest bonding experience with God is through Torah study and mitzvah observance. In this chapter, the Tanya will explore why of these two activities, Torah study offers a more intense connection. So by the way, what's going to come out from this is 
that in some ways, study is greater than the deed. I'll give you an example. If you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, but you're studying Torah, and if you don't do that mitzvah, someone else will do it. Okay? So someone else can do it. Right? But you're in the middle of studying Torah. It says you should not stop studying to grab the opportunity to do that deed. Only if no one else is around to do it, of course, you should go ahead and do it. Okay? But imagine you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, but someone else can do it. You should stick and study Torah and not do the mitzvah. So, way, Torah study is more important than deed. You say, what? Isn't the whole... Isn't the whole purpose of Torah study so I can understand what I need to do to connect with God? No, this is what we're showing you. Even studying Torah itself is connecting you with God. And in some ways, it's connecting with God even greater than a mitzvah. Because being able to really bring, to pull God that far, to grasp him into your, into your body, and, and conversely, when you study Torah, to allow God to envelop you, it's much, much more acute by Torah study. So let's read like this, the total immersion. This is what we're reading about. So in this chapter, Tanya will explore why of these two activities, Torah study offers the more intense connection. I would say like this, mitzvahs may sometimes be more important because they're our mission here on this earth, but a Torah study is a more intense connection with God. So I'll say that again. Mitzvahs may be more important. Torah study, though, is a more intense connection. Therefore, if there's a mitzvah that will be done by somebody else, so the mission for God is going to get done. But you should continue studying Torah. So let's continue. Uh, the Tanya, by the way, will we'll go back and forth about the, the importance of one versus the other later on in the later chapters. But this is just to show you, just to change perspective a little bit. Remember, we've been discussing about, speaking about when you study something, change your perspective. This class will change your perspective on studying Torah. It says like this. Let's clarify in more depth the term grasp in Elijah's statement, no thought can grasp you, right? We said, right, we said through Torah, we can grasp God. But first we said, no thought can grasp God. So we want us to understand what does grasping have to do with, with uh, intellect? This is like this. When you understand something, you own it, and it becomes absorbed in your mind. This, the time suggests, is what the Zohar implies by the term grasping. Now, when your mind processes and masters an idea, your mind initially grasps the basic point of the idea, mentally engulfing it. When you understand something, your mind absorbs it and engulfs it like a sponge soaking up a puddle of water. At this early stage, however, you have only engulfed and absorbed the basic point of the idea. Now that you are intrigued, your mind desires to fully master the, the idea's inner logic and broader implications. Only after this analysis is complete can you fully grasp the idea. Then he continues. And after... Um, yes. And after... Just one second. Um, and after it has become thoroughly analyzed by your mind, the idea becomes fully grasped engulfed and absorbed in your mind that figured the idea out and mastered it. Uh, one second. Okay. Uh, and after it has been fully, thoroughly analyzed in your mind, the idea becomes fully grasped and engulfed and absorbed in your mind that figured the idea out and mastered it. The God, but the, so this was describing number one. When you understand a topic, you are grasping it. He's going to have the other point. But there's yet another dimension to the experience of mentally grasping and taking place cool. between the time. It's a little big, right? Right. When you initially grasp the basic points of the idea and you finally master and your final mastery of it. 
Um, that's why, by the way, we talk about uh, some, we say some ideas are too big, right? Mm -hmm. Why do we use the word, this idea is too big? It's too big for you. you. You can't grasp it, right? Just like, right, this is too big. Some items are too big for me to hold. Some ideas are too big for us to grasp. But as we expand our mind, we Your can. Hands get bigger. My hands get bigger, exactly. My hands get bigger, yeah. Um, so that was describing number one. Now we're going to describe the number two when the idea grasps you or engulfing you is really the word. But there is yet another dimension to the experience of mentally grasping. And this takes place between the time when you initially grasp the basic point of the idea and your final mastery of it. So again, between your initial knowledge about it and your final grasping of it. Right. That's what I described earlier. Because during the interim time, when your mind is processing the initial idea, attempting to fully grasp it, then the reverse is true. It is your mind that is absorbed in the idea because it is captivated by it. So by the way, when you're, when sometimes I'm speaking and you're not fully understanding what I'm, what I'm saying yet, that's a good thing actually now you're learning now because that means now the idea is enveloping you. So that's why I love to confuse you so that hopefully <laughs> the idea can envelop you a little bit. So you can be enveloped by God's wisdom for a couple minutes. Okay. So as he says, um, until you have mastered the idea, it still captivates you, which means that you are absorbed in the idea. As soon as you've mastered it fully, it ceases to captivate you since you have absorbed everything there is to know about the subject. At this point, the idea is absorbed in you. Now, when the idea studied is from the Torah, a text which is one with God, then the resulting union with God is an extremely intimate one where you are absorbed in God while he is also absorbed in you, so to speak. So I'm adding, I think we start off in the class, I think someone says, you know, when you study Torah, you're connecting with God. Yes, but we're, we're describing how great that connection with God is. That connection with God is to the point where you, sounds crazy, you can grasp God and God envelops you. That's, that's wonderful. In other words, you're not just connecting with God because you're doing what he wants. Okay, a mitzvah is doing what God wants. So you, there's a connection made because you have fulfilled his desire. But in Torah study, you can say you're actually connecting with God. In other words, God himself. I don't know if there's another way of saying it, but again, there's when you do what someone else wants, you're connecting with them in a, in a more uh, metaphysical way, okay? Because you're not actually one with them at that moment. It says the item of the mitzvah is actually one with God. So for example, it says the, uh, the tefillin uh, are godly now when you do a mitzvah with them, but, but you are, in, in a sense, a little bit separate. You are fulfilling God's will. You're a little bit separate from God. You are doing his will. When you study Torah, because intellect becomes a part of you, and also because, as we described, it can at a certain point envelop you, you are now becoming one with God. So now you can appreciate why study Torah is so important, even sometimes in the face of a mitzvah. Okay? Let's read. He has an aside the practical lesson. He says, as you master a Torah text, your soul absorbs its divine light. The Torah nourishes your soul inside like food. As you become captivated by a Torah text, desiring to fully master it, your soul is absorbed in the divine light, dressing it like a garment. This is, by the way, um, why in the Torah it says you should stand up in front of a scholar. The Torah says, um, Torah says, Vadarta Pnezakin, you should stand in front of a scholar. 
sorry, it says you shall, you shall um, give honor to Zakain, to an elderly person. So that's where we learn you should, people are old, you should respect them. But actually, uh, there's another commentary which says, what is Zakain? Zeshakana Chachman says, an elder person also can refer to somebody who acquired Torah wisdom. So the question is, why do I have to stand, why do I have to stand in front of a scholar? And the answer is because when a scholar studies Torah, the Torah is now a part of them. So when you're standing in front of a Torah scholar, you're not as much honoring them as you are honoring the Torah study that has become a part of them. So actually, when you stand in front of a Torah scholar, you're honoring God. God forbid you're honoring a person. You are honoring God. That person has studied so much Torah and so much Torah has become one with them. By honoring them, you are honoring God. We don't have, we don't, you know, have idolatry and, and you know, uh, we are honoring God by honoring the Torah scholars. And that's also why um, it's, uh, there's another line, I forget what it's called, but basically there's, there's somebody who has learned and there's somebody that's, uh, that, that, there's a difference between if you have learned a topic or it's become one with you. That's basically the idea. That's why uh, acquiring, remembering Torah is so important. It says in, in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, anybody who forgets something they learn is like the worst of the worst. Why? Why is it terrible if you forget? People forget all the time. The answer is because when you acquire Torah study, you want it to stick with you. When it sticks with you, um, it becomes one with you. And now you're, you're connected with God. You don't want to lose it. I understand we, we all forget all the time, but we should try and endeavor, you know, to remember some store, some Torah study in our lives. Okay, any questions or comments before I move on to the next little section over here? Because I know that was heavy and deep. So no questions or comments? Hopefully I added on to your appreciation for Torah. So the next time, again, you're studying Torah, you're going to appreciate that in some ways it's even greater than a mitzvah. Um, because the mitzvah, you are connecting with God because you're doing God's will. But in a mitzvah, but in Torah study, you're actually connecting with God himself in the sense that God himself has put himself in the wisdom of the Torah. And when you study Torah, it becomes a part of you. Okay. All right. So let us, let us delve a little bit more into what we mean when we say that Torah is... Um, Torah is God's will and wisdom. So let us explain that idea. Because I, I basically said, what I've said till now is when you study Torah, since Torah is an intellect, so therefore you can grasp it, it can grasp you. And I said, I just said Torah is God's will and wisdom. Where does that actually come from? So uh, for those who came to the course book smart, you obviously understand that uh, the tradition and, and how the, the Torah developed. And um, therefore all the Torah was... Uh, it, it originates and comes from God. That's really what we described in the class. Um, let's take a look. Um, you know what? Still talking down with children. Yeah, well, well, maybe we should continue. Uh, I just want people to understand that um, everybody came to the book smart course or probably knows at least the idea of the um, of Torah. Torah. So, so just to just so you understand when I say Torah, yeah, I want to clarify. I said when you study Torah, you're becoming one with God. 
when I say the word Torah, I don't just mean the five books of Moses. I mean all Jewish teachings and study. How are all Jewish teachings and study God's will and wisdom? Well, that's the system God set up. We described it in the course Booksmart, but to put it in short, God gave the Torah and he gave with it an oral tradition. And by virtue of the oral tradition, um, the entire Torah has been developed. And uh, this is the way God wanted the Torah to develop. And uh, the sages throughout the generation have always been trying to reach the truth. Now, even debates in the Talmud, uh, we've discussed there's parallel realities. Some things are reality at a different level of understanding. Um, again, it's, it could be a course for another time, but uh, just to put it simply, um, what's true here is not necessarily true there. So it could be when the sages debate, they had it, you know, one was understanding at a higher level. Uh, there's only one thing you have to do. There's only one law, but there could be parallel and different understandings, not parallel, but different understandings. Um, so anyways, let us uh, look inside. Um, let's look inside. Where, where, where are we up to? We're up to the next page. Okay. Well, let me move this up. Surprised nobody had any questions, but okay, we'll move on. Um, so he's going to give an illustration. He's going to give an illustration of where you're studying something of Jewish studies. So mm -hmm. it's not going to be Torah itself. It's going to be Gemara or Mishnah, mm -hmm. which again, Gemara and Mishnah is the development of God's will and wisdom. And uh, by that, you're going to become one with God. So he says, by way of illustration. So this is the next page. By way of illustration. When you are in the process of analyzing and fully mastering a ruling of the Mishnah or the Talmud, your intellect progressively grasps and engulfs the ruling, absorbing all of its details and ramifications. And yet, at the same time, your mind is absorbed in it and captivated by it. We have angels coming to listen oh, to yeah. our class over here. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're hearing. And yet, at the same time, your mind is absorbed in it and captivated by it. Okay? trick okay. when when you understand how to open it it'll become one with you okay um okay um now this ruling of the talmud represents the wisdom and will of the whole of the blessed holy one that it arose in his will that the final ruling would be for when exact when for example Reuben will present a particular legal argument and shimon a certain counter argument Think about it like this. You come to me and you say, Rabbi, can I use a cell phone on, uh, can I use a cell phone on Shabbos? Torah doesn't talk about cell phones, right? So where am I going to get my answer for you? The answer will start from somewhere in the Torah and how it came down through the oral tradition, through the Mishnah, through the Talmud, through modern day uh, uh, halachic works, and you'll get your answer. So your answer about whether you can use a cell phone on Shabbos or not is rooted in the Torah. That was what the point of the book smart course was, showing how, how the entire tradition of law is rooted in the Torah and how, how we get to where we get to today. Um, I think we presented a couple uh, um, cases. But that's what the Tanya here is saying. When you uh, are studying what the law in a certain instance should be, that's God's will. So let me just back up for a second. What this means is like this. Even if you're studying a law that will never be practical for you, it's still God's will. What do I mean? 
it's God's will and wisdom that if this is the case, this is what should happen, right? So this explains why does the Talmud discuss so many hypotheticals? In the Talmud, you'll see so many hypotheticals, and some of them may never come to pass. So again, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a law. Uh, you know, there's a certain law the Talmud talks about, and the Talmud wants to know, well, what would happen? What would the law be in this, in this instance? Why do we care if it's, let's say, never going to happen? The answer is, because even if the actual scenario will never happen, that's what God's wisdom is. We're trying to delve into what is God's will and wisdom in this scenario. And therefore, when you're studying it, you're connecting with God's will and wisdom. You're connecting with God. That's why, it's, that's why people can spend a lot of their life studying topics that may never be practical. So this is why, for example, when we're studying the book of Leviticus, now, we just finished studying the book of Leviticus. A lot of people get bored when they read the offerings and the sacrifices that were brought in the temple. Because it's not so practical nowadays. So first of all, of course, when Mashiach comes, it will be practical. But second of all, studying about anything that's God's will and wisdom is connecting with him, even if it's not practical. This is the big divide between a mitzvah and Torah. A mitzvah has to be practical. It has to be what God wants, right? If I put on tefillin on Shabbos, I'm not doing anything, right? It has to be what God wants. It has to be the action that God wants right now. It has to be current and relevant right now in action. Torah study does not have to be something that needs to be done. It just has to be what is God's thought process. And for that, it doesn't have to be a practical scenario right now. You can take any of the sections of the Torah even if it's not practical right now, it's important to discuss. So going back to our discussion about the holiday of Shavuot, we discussed and we delved deeply into a story last year about uh, King Solomon cutting the baby in half. And we delved deeply into the story, even say none of the topics are practical to us, but some of them weren't. It doesn't make a difference. We, when we understand what God's will was and what, what, what God was, and really how King Solomon figured out God's will, that, that was a, a study of Torah that was, uh, considered a study of God's will and wisdom, and that's why uh, it's important. So let us continue reading here. So this is what he's going to add over here. What if you study a part of Torah that has no practical relevance? Does that still represent the wisdom and will of God? So this is what he says. And even if, by the way, just give an example. The Torah describes the rebellious child. You ever heard of it? Torah has a description. There's a description of something called the rebellious child and is put to death while they're still 12 and a half. Now the sage, the, the, the oral tradition explains to us all the things that this rebellious child has to do. And the sages in the Talmud say, such a rebellious child never actually happened. So here you have a mitzvah in the Torah that never happened. So why does anybody ever read about it? What's the point of studying about it? So let's, let's read inside. Even if the scenario never came to pass and never will. In other words, you're studying a law, a, a scenario that will never happen. And there will never be an actual litigation involving these particular legal arguments and claims. Nevertheless, since it arose in the will and wisdom of the Holy and Blessed Be He, what the final ruling would be if one person would present a certain legal argument and another person a corresponding counter-argument, it follows that when you understand this ruling with your mind, as the laws prescribed by the Mishnah, the, Mishnah, the Gemara, and later authorities, you thereby understand grasp and engulf with your mind the wisdom and will of the holy one blessed be he and why is that so cool as we explained in the previous chapter the Zohar says no thought can grasp him not his will nor his wisdom since no finite mortal can grasp something infinite 
Yet the exception to this rule is when that divine wisdom and will is dressed in the final rulings of Jewish law, which have been codified for us. As we have learned in chapter four, God compacted his infinite wisdom and will into the finite garbs of the Torah. And as we have seen, not only does your mind absorb these divine laws through study, but also the reverse is true. Your mind becomes absorbed in them as it is captivated by them. So what we have from here is why it's, so this is all saying inside, but I just said outside. Why is it so important to study Torah? No matter what the subject is, no matter how practical, relevant, or irrelevant it is, when you get to the, the bottom of what you're trying to study, you are studying God's will and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And God himself really cannot be understood. Right? Just like we, when we spoke about mitzvahs, we said, how do you connect to God? Right? If you build God a giant cathedral and you give prayers to him, you may not be connecting with God because that may not be what he wants. God is infinite. The only way to connect with God is if he tells you how to connect with him. That's what we said about mitzvahs. Similar to Torah. Nobody can understand God. But when God decides to put his will and wisdom within a finite law, which by the way, Torah is really not very finite. If you study, you see it goes on and on and on. But to an extent, he, he placed his will and wisdom into something that we can understand. It's an amazing gift that God has given us. Now you're starting to appreciate the great gift that God has given us. God has given us the ability to grasp him and be, and be grasped and enveloped by him through the study of Torah. This is why the giving of the Torah was so special. It actually says, this is the, what the whole point of the giving of the Torah was. It says, it says Abraham also studied Torah. But the difference is when Abraham studied Torah, he wasn't getting God like we are right. because God had not yet put himself in the Torah. The Zohar says in the word, the first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi, I am. The Zohar says the word Anochi is an acronym for Ana Nafi Tavit Yahavit. That means I have placed my, I have given you my soul. God says, when I gave you the Torah, I gave you my soul. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, when God gave us the Torah, it wasn't just giving us a book of laws. He also placed himself in the Torah itself. It was the gift of Torah. Shavuot, we celebrate Torah. We're not just celebrating mitzvahs on Shavuot, when God gave us the Torah, which is the next holiday coming up. We're also celebrating God giving us the Torah. Yeah. That through Torah study, God places infinite wisdom into this study that we can grasp and understand sometimes. <laughs> that we can grasp and understand. And that's a wonderful gift from God. And as he says, because when you, when you, when you um, study Torah, as it, we're ending up, or we're almost done. As he says, when you study Torah, you become absorbed in God. And God becomes absorbed in you. And as he continues, this is a phenomenal merging experience of two beings. There is no other merging experience like it. The merging that a human being has with wisdom is more than anything else in life. Wisdom really becomes more, even when you eat, becomes a part of you, but some of it leaves you. A, a marriage, a relationship, there's, there's some bonding there, but nothing is as complete as your bond with something that you understand. It yeah. really becomes a part of you. And so by God putting himself in an in a intellectual study has allowed us to have the most intimate and deepest um, merging experience that there is in the entire world with him. As he says, nothing remotely comparable exists in this world where you become completely one with another entity from every conceivable perspective and you retain your own existence. Physically, it is impossible to engulf something else at the same time being engulfed by it. Yet when they study Torah, that is precisely what happens. You engulf, master the Torah, and it engulfs you, captivates you. That can happen by any study, of course. But with Torah, of course, it's really special. 
is there a phenomenal merging experience too when you study from, from other forms of wisdom besides Torah? The mind would seem to operate the same way regardless of what you study. And at that, he's going to say, uh, there is, however, a key distinction. When you study astronomy, for example, you do not become one with the planets themselves. Your mind unites with the concept of the planets. There remains an inherent duality between idea and subject. On the other hand, God looked into and created the world. Torah is a blueprint of creation itself. When you study something in the Torah, that thing is a direct product of the ideas that exist in the Torah, and you therefore have a phenomenal merging experience. All right, that was a little deep. <laughs> you, it, you take that idea or leave it. Okay, we, we can maybe discuss it more next week, but it doesn't really make a difference if you can't have the merging experience with other topics or not. The main thing we have to know is when we study Torah, we have this beautiful opportunity to become one with God, to merge with God. There is no other merging that you can have with something else than through intellectual study. And God has placed himself in an intellectual study called the Torah, and we should relish in that opportunity, even sometimes in the face of doing a mitzvah. And so now you understand when you want to know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily condone, condone, condoning means you agree with it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily condoning people who study all day in all instances, okay? We can have a discussion about that. But now you understand why there's so many Jews who just study all day. Mm -hmm. They study, they go to Kolel. There are many groups of Jews, not as much Chabad, but many groups of Jews where it's like the thing. If the parents have enough money, their kids will just their entire life sit in a study hall and study Torah. You can say, what, what's with the mitzvahs? But now you understand why just studying Torah is so important. And you can study Torah all day. And it's a wonderful and important thing. Later on, Tanya will discuss why there's a mission as well. And you have to, you have, to have balance. But the study of Torah is important. The Rebbe himself, by the way, in his daily schedule, which was a crazy schedule, and we know how much he accomplished, most of his day was actually studying Torah or teaching Torah. His actual schedule, those who knew his schedule, most of his day was studying Torah. Despite all his great accomplishments, most of what he spent his time on was studying Torah. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's the only constant mitzvah. Torah study is a mitzvah for us to study all the time. Because whenever you have a spare moment, you should study Torah. You, know, you, know, you don't have to do a mitzvah, you don't have to work. Study Torah. <laughs> so Therefore, uh, the next class will be... <laughs> <laughs> the next class will be in five minutes, right? now. Okay. Um, so... Uh, that's my spiel for today. Hopefully you got something. Hopefully you understand a little bit more and appreciate why we study Torah. We'll continue to develop it next week a little bit more, but you got really the basic idea. I'm going to stop the recording. If there's any questions, you can ask any questions.